0: Turning over tables, driving out animals, people being perhaps a little bit afraid of what's going on. It's something different from what we're used to. But in this act, Jesus gives a sign that a change is happening. That there's no longer going to be a need for the animals to be in the temple at all. There's no longer going to be a need for those money changers to be present. Instead of what's gone before, instead of the temple as it has been known, our sins will be forgiven and we will have new life through Him. The temple that was built as a place of sacrifice can be torn down for a new temple. Christ the Lamb of God will be revealed as the way to the Father. And this change is indicated in the very first verse. Verse 13 John writes that it's happening at the time of the Jewish Passover. It's that Jewish festival. Nothing to do with us. Us followers of Jesus. Now It's a Jewish Passover. It's something from the past, not something that we necessarily celebrate anymore. They're different people. It's an indication that old things have come to an end. The tables have been turned. The feast is no longer as it was. The festival is no longer. As it was. It's the Passover. But John doesn't say which Passover it happens to be. This comes in chapter 2, just after the wedding at Canaan. It would seem to be right at the start of Jesus' ministry. Yet we know of a very similar event happening at the start of the last week of his earthly ministry, before the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. For the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke each tell of the turning over of the tables happening just after Jesus' Palm Sunday entry into the city of Jerusalem. These two events... Are they one? Is John telling it out of sequence as part of giving us clues that we are to understand Jesus' teaching by? Or does it happen two times, three years apart? Personally, I used to take the two times approach. It was two different events. But thinking of today how authorities would react to such an occurrence. An attack on their place of worship. On their commerce. On their way of life. On their understandings. I now struggle to imagine that the temple authorities would allow such a of security thing to occur again, to permit Jesus to perform an identical operation a couple of years later, at the same time, at the same place. That aside, let's actually think of the animals, of the money changers and what they were doing there. Back at the end of July and the start of August, we heard the instructions of the Passover and various other festivals. We heard about how the people were to bring the best that they could bring. Lambs that were a year old and spotless. Bread made from the finest flour. At other festivals, branches waved that were taken from the luxuriant trees. And of course, not forgetting, a bit of music on the side. (coughs) I've still got it. Those of you that weren't here at the start of the month might be a bit puzzled. Well, tough. The festivals and worship in general was about giving what is good to God. God is great and He's worthy to receive great things. He should receive all the praise that's on our heart. It's right that we should give the pure and spotless lamb. That we should sing his praise. That we bring the best of what we have. But the people coming to Jerusalem from a large distance had had to leave their flocks behind. Perhaps, indeed, they were no longer nomadic farmers that had a flock at all. Perhaps they'd settled in towns or villages. They had other occupations, things that didn't really lend themselves to bringing things, gifts, to the Lord. And traders, therefore, outside around the outside of the temple, sold visitors a sheep or a cow. Not necessarily the best and not necessarily at a fair price. The Roman coins in common use had an image of Caesar. You know, Jesus looks at the coins and says, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. They had his picture and he thought of himself as a God. These weren't coins that could be brought into the temple. So change the money. Use the currency of the port of Tyre, which didn't feature an image. But the exchange rate was not as good in Jerusalem as you might have found at the coast. The humble traveller was being cheated. Cheated. Time and time again. The temple had become full of thieves, not just taking wealth from the traveller, but in so doing, taking wealth from God, taking what was being given to God and creaming it off for themselves such that the worship to God was not all it could have been. It was just as if they were taking it directly out the collection plate. They were thieves. I was reminded of these traders a fortnight ago when I was a visitor in a foreign land. In the courtyard just outside the security gate of Disneyland Paris were a group of young men who each had roughly a metre square sheet with a handle sewn onto each corner. And they would spread it out on the ground. And inside this sheet, on the top of this sheet, were mini Eiffel Towers and various other trinkets. And they were cheap. And you sort of thought, well, maybe these are a bargain. Maybe this is where I should buy my memento. Maybe this is the bit of trading that I need to do. But at the same time, you could think of that sheet with its four corners and the way they kept looking round as... This is nice and easy to pick up and run away if the police comes. (laughs) How trustworthy are these sellers? Do they really just want the one euro for the Eiffel Tower? How good is their merchandise? Buying anything from these young spivs might not be wise but the number of them there stood in a very close line such that it was difficult to get past them suggests that it might have been worth their while being there. And the traders in the temple courts probably reckoned it was worth their while too. Worth their while to diddle people that were coming to worship God. And the practice of selling bees so close to the altar probably pleased some of the travellers too. It made their life a bit easier. They didn't really have to worry about how good their sheep was or how good their cow. They didn't have to worry in advance about which currency they were carrying on them. But the issue is not how easy something is when we come to church, when we come to worship. It's not about whether that'll do. It's whether it's true and just and worthy of bringing to God. Was worship supposed to be something that was second best? Was it always supposed to be convenient for the worshipper? Was it supposed to allow traders to make a profit from the pilgrim? Was that the intention of the festival? I don't think it was. And those of you that rapidly got through the Bible study before the summer, looking at Zechariah, would have found in the very last verse of it, the very last verse of the book of Zechariah, it looks forward to a time, a time of true worship in the day of Christ's coming when there would be no merchant in the temple. It says Canaanite, but seeing, it just tells you before that. That everybody's going to be able to gather from all nations. It seems a bit funny to exclude Canaanites. So it means the merchants, the traders. There will be no traders in the temple. That's not how things are meant to be. Instead, things are to be different. Things are to be God's way. We're not called... To do things by half. Or to do things the easy way. We are called to live like Christ. We are to dare to be different just as the Sunday morning singers sang. We are called to do it in a good way. To think of the one God who created all things. And saw that all was good. The one that gave the most precious thing imaginable into the world. His son Jesus. We're called to think of Jesus Christ. Who gave everything of himself. Even his life upon the cross. That we can be forgiven and have new life. That he could suffer that pain and die in agony for us. That is a gift. But what do we give in return? It's our responsibility to live out the words that we've been singing in our songs this morning. To be followers that give everything to him. Are we really committed. To give of our wealth in a way that honors him. Or do we just give a token. And let a little bit of it go somewhere else. Do we put a time spent praying and seeking his will for our church seeking his will for our community ahead of spending time in front of the telly or reading a book? Do we put God's mission of this church in this village higher than the price of a cup of coffee? Do we put time spent serving him higher than that of doing something for a club that we belong to? Is our salvation the most wonderful thing? And if so, how does that actually play out in our life? The last couple of weeks, while I've been away, no coincidence there, in the notice sheet there's been a finance report saying that our giving is close to budget. But those of you that were at the church meeting at the start of the year before I came, and those of you that were there in July when I raised the question at the finance report, will know that the budget is a deficit of tens of thousands of pounds. Which, if repeated for another two years, will mean as a local church, we won't be here anymore. It's all right to hear we're following the budget, but we have to be aware of what the budget is. When I first came here, I heard the story of how 30 years ago you bought the lovely house that I live in you took a step in faith and you gave sacrificially and bought that place and i've heard how 20 years ago you built the concourse and the rooms over there you understand what giving is yeah i think there's a degree of complacency in the church the church has money you think but soon it won't I believe, like all of you, it's a basis of your vision statement that was prepared years ago. That you're called to follow the great commission that Jesus gives to his disciples. To take the gospel of love and hope on from Jerusalem to all nations. That's not about being in deficit. It's not about being static or breaking even. It's about going further and doing more. And it requires not simply the other person giving, but each of us giving. Each of us thinking of what God requires in our daily life, of our time, of our prayers, of our effort, And of our financial resources, and do things differently from the way of the world. Giving is part of our worshipful life, for it allows God's kingdom to grow. How is the Lord challenging you to lead that life? What time-consuming or even sinful thing needs to be turned over? What needs to be thrown out? What change needs to come? How should you be living in a way that glorifies him? Jesus knows what is in each of us. He sees within us. He doesn't need man's testimony about who he is and about who we are. He sees within us. He knows what it is. So let the Lord speak to you. Let the Lord challenge you. Let the Lord show you the way forward for this church. Such that we might grow rather than being worried about the future. Let us be worried about whether we can actually seat everybody in here. Let us worry about how we can serve even more people. Let us worry about how good we can be rather than Than be worried about what's in the bank. Let us. Seek to worship God. With all of our life. With everything that we have within us. Such that his glory. May be proclaimed. Amen.